Hey guys, Andrew Dobie here from Just A Chat With. If this is your first listen, Just A Chat With is a brand and creativity podcast where we talk to the world's best in class. In the last episode, we sat down with Andy Morahan, who is the world-renowned commercial film and music video director. With nearly 40 years of experience in the industry, Andrew Andy, sorry, has produced music videos and films for artists such as George Michael, Aerosmith, Michael Jackson, Van Halen, ACDC, Ozzy Osbourne, Tina Turner, and my all-time favorite, Guns N' Roses. And the list doesn't stop there, there's loads and loads more. We had an amazing time with Andy, so go check that episode out if you haven't already. Before now, we've had people on the podcast like David Martin, founder of Fantasy Interactive, world-renowned designer Michael Wolfe, and co-founders of Sidley, Philip Mounier, and many, many more. In this episode today, though, I sit down with Gavin Quirk, who is Head of Fulfillment Operations for the Global Creative Production Team at Netflix in LA. Uh, we had a great chat with Gavin. He talked uh, talked us through how he how he found his way to Netflix, uh, how he worked uh, his time at Walt Disney Studios. And also, um, we talked a lot about the future of video content and streaming and where that is all headed. We had some great stories from Gavin, so I hope you enjoy today's show. So hey everyone and welcome to episode 23 of Just a Chat With. I'm Andrew Dobie. Today I'm very excited as we're here with Gavin Quirk, who is Head of Fulfillment Operations in the Global Creative Production Team at Netflix in LA. With nearly 20 years of experience in brand and marketing strategy, Gavin started his career in London at Diageo on the Graduate Development Scheme. After graduating from the University of Glasgow Business School here in Glasgow, Scotland, where I am currently located, while at Diageo, Gavin held various sales and marketing roles, including leading retail activation strategies in Sainsbury's stores across the UK and France, and brand management roles for the likes of Guinness, Jose Cuervo, and Three Barrel Brandy. Easy for me to say. <laughs> That's a mouthful there. <laughs> After leaving Diageo, Gavin moved to Disney, where he led 360 brand campaigns, uh, strategies for studios, releases across live action and animated movies. The, this role eventually took him to LA, where he held several Disney leadership positions in marketing, operations, and business development. In 2018, however, after almost 12 years at Disney, Gavin moved to Netflix, where he currently leads a team at the intersection of marketing and product, whose focus is the fulfillment of high-quality video, text, and image assets for the global Netflix platforms. Born in Paisley, Gavin grew up at the south side of Glasgow, but eventually moved to the US in 2010, and now lives with his girlfriend and their dog, Major, in West Hollywood. Uh, Gavin is a big football fan or soccer fan for our, our American friends, and very much like my brother, Gav, who also lives in the US, spends most of his weekends <laughs> getting up at very silly hours to watch, um, watch football games that are happening here in Scotland. Uh, Gavin still considers Glasgow to be his home, despite not having lived here for 20 years, but plans to come back and visit very soon. And hopefully, if when you do so, Gav, you'll come and visit us at Made Brave as well. Uh, Gav, Absolutely. thanks so much for being here. How well, are things? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. Yeah, can't really complain. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, made it through 2020, <laughs> the same as gonna, everyone's kind of struggling through. But yeah, no, going well. So looking forward to this year and everything it's got to, to offer, really. 
Yeah, I think we we all made it through 2020, thinking 2021 was going to be somewhat different, and it's oh, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you know, especially being in the US, you know, with the presidential elections and everything, I think everybody felt, well, you know, once that's going to change, there's going to be an or an upturn, and everything's going to everything's going to be better. But we realised it was just more of the same, just a different year. But I think you know, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel now. Hopefully, you know, they roll out the vaccinations and stuff. So yeah, hopefully 2021 is going to be a lot better for everyone. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's everyone's got a bit of that kind of feeling of hope now that there's there's, there's stuff happening and you know the yeah. people are getting emails with invites to vaccines. Um, for for those that are listening, um, we are recording this on the tenth of February, just to give a little bit of context of where we are in the world. Because some, sometimes we put these <laughs> out a, a couple of months later, and people are like, "Wait a minute, we're all back to normal." Uh, so yeah, what, um, what were you worried about? Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> or or we're in. Or, oh no, it didn't work, <laughs> and the world changed that. again. Don't, so. don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um gav where, where are you just now in the world for for, for those listening yeah so i'm in la so yeah so as i say i think you mentioned you know i've been intro i've been here since 2010 but yeah so still in la been here obviously for you know 10 years but obviously haven't moved in the past year haven't been able to travel so yeah i live in west hollywood as you mentioned with my girlfriend and my dog so yeah i mean i, I love it over here yeah and it's kind of it feels very comfortable now but as you mentioned you're into you know i've still got that that hankering for being back home in, in scotland at some point so Hopefully, I'll be able to travel and get back home here this year, see friends and family, and obviously pop in and see you guys as well. Yeah, and 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 I suppose uh, um, Netflix. You know, are you guys all still completely remote? Uh, what's the situation there? And, yeah, and, and how are you finding that? Are you are you enjoying it, or are you kind of you know? Did you well, you, you want to get back? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, Netflix was was really well set up for this situation. I mean, they were never obviously predicting it, but the way we work is we have obviously offices and people all over the world, and we. We're very heavily uh, in terms of using Google. So everything a lot we do is hanging. So we were already set up for, for a home working environment. So yeah. it almost felt like seamless when we went into this work from home situation. So we all adjusted really, really well. And, you know, thankfully, you know, other, other unfortunately, other companies weren't able to kind of sort of advance in this, but everybody was streaming. So we kind of, we were very, very lucky. We actually became busier than ever. So it actually, it was relatively seamless, but I realized, you know, an incredibly privileged position to be, as comfortable as we were but yeah it, it seemed okay yeah and and you know I, I, I imagine and obviously Netflix are very progressive business so they'll already be kind of leading the way I think you know what we found quite interesting and what you know what we're trying to do at Made Brave is make sure that we don't go back to kind of just where we were before in terms of yeah. work patterns and try and take almost the best of, of the best of what we had and the best of what this has now shown us in terms of working and you're seeing a lot of businesses I think I think Salesforce today um, announced that they were going to in San Francisco we're going to you know not take as much retail space anymore and turn mm. kind of offices much more into a destination um, you know a lot more kind of collaborative spaces or places to socialize but much less of the kind of fixed desk model and yeah you know, is, do you think that's, I mean, Netflix sounds like it was already kind of there anyway, but do you think there's that kind of, that's the sort of where you guys are headed as well in terms of just trying to take the best? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we, we obviously had physical offices, you know, in Los Gatos and LA and then across the world. So we did have physical offices and the ones we had in Hollywood, we were very much sort of all on top of one another. It was like all open plan, et cetera. So I think going forward, there may still be some sort of office, but it is going to change, you know, whether it's a complete, you know, flexible model of, you know, they have half the team in one week and another team, but 
it's just it's the way the sort of the industry. I think the way the world was going really people being more comfortable working from home and everyone says, "Oh, let's get back to to normal." But the normal wasn't really working, and I think yeah, it wasn't was it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and in this environment, you know, it is collaborative. But what it does, it actually opens up a talent pool now because you know where we had physical locations, we were probably recruiting in that area, but now we can recruit from anywhere in the world. We can get talent from anywhere in the world because if we can all connect in these means, then. Why do you actually have to be in an office? So in the absence of having an absolute concrete stance on it so far, I'm sure Netflix will eventually evolve yeah. to what that would be. But they haven't come out of the gates yet. Like I know Twitter have and Facebook have said, you know, we're definitely going to do this. Yeah. But I'm sure there will be an evolution of the working environment. And I think that's natural, you know, across across the world. It's not unique to Netflix for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we've been talking a lot because, you know, and it'll be, the, you know, very much in your business that, um, you know, how how does it affect creativity you know suddenly we've got all of our people at home and you know sometimes that energy of creative collaboration works mm. best when you're you know you're together you you know kind of around the table and i suppose there's kind of the bigger implications especially for businesses like netflix in terms of production you know um you know like i'm kind of interested to kind of where you guys are at um gav in terms of like you know when it, when it all stopped in march what impact did that have on the because i can't imagine how many productions that you're running at once yeah. and like how much now are you leaning into like some virtual production and heading into that space is that playing a big part in productions or or or, or are you finding ways to, to work around this yeah so i mean obviously netflix is a huge pipeline of content and again i'm just talking sort of from my experience i'm not necessarily a production side of things but it's just what i've sort of observed you know we had a huge amount of content in the pipeline so when things kind of closed down between march and i think it was maybe june we still had like a backlog of content yeah. to get through so it was kind of it was constant then i think you know maybe sort of june to september we felt like a slight downturn because that's when production stopped then it picked up again so but we had so much content that we were sort of pushing through it and Netflix have made huge advances in terms of, you know, safety in production sites. You know, like we're leading the world in that. So yeah. obviously, you know, every industry is going to evolve and, and adapt to that. And I think, you know, content providers have to do that. But we didn't see too much of a, a downturn because, we've been, as I say, we've had yeah, that. Yeah, no yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think the evolution of production is going to happen anyway. I think what's happened this past year has accelerated our industry, both in production in the business side and the content creation but i think it was just a natural evolution we were going down anyway yeah it's like it's like 25 years evolution in about 25 yeah. weeks isn't it like you know it's, it's so true and I, had, I was having this conversation the other day like, you know everything where we're getting to now in terms of streaming and accessibility from the home of content it's where the industry was going but it was just tiptoeing that way then yeah. this this year just said right let's just let's just go for it and you've seen that you know with all the different studios now are moving into streaming. They've all got their new platforms. It was where we were going to go, but we just weren't getting there very quickly, and this just accelerated it. Yeah, and you and you you guys are obviously in quite a nice place for it to happen. You know, when you're yeah. set up pretty much for success, really. Well, exactly. I mean, like Netflix, were the disruptors. They were the first ones to do this. So as a result, you know, we've got a sort of twenty-year start in terms of where we are in terms of, of sort of that platform. But that being said, you know content is king so if you've got the content and you can get it out there that's why disney plus is doing so well they've got amazing content and consumers want to see it so that's that's our challenge it's not so much you know again you know talking from my perspective it's not really about, about you know the the actual platform it's what we're putting on there it's the content we're making and making that accessible around the world and that's what the content partners will succeed in doing if, as long as they get the good content they're, they're they're golden yeah yeah and then um 
I suppose to get to help the kind of listeners get a bit of context for what you do then, Gav, are you able to give us a kind of sort of summarise what your kind of role involves, what your kind of day-to-day looks like at Netflix? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I suppose in terms of understanding Netflix, you can split it into really two massive buckets. It's like the content and the creation of the content. And then it's like the product. So I work on the products, the actual Netflix platform yeah. that we all, we all access. So my role is about getting the assets onto that platform. And an asset can be the video, the artwork, the text, you know, and all the different components of that. So an audio file, a subtitle file, et cetera, et cetera. So my team does a variety of things, whether it's the QC, whether it's, you know, the actual ingest, whether it's the conforming of assets, whether it's the localization production. But we're sort of that last mile before it actually gets onto the product because, you know, we produce this content, but we are all over the world. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of localization to be done. There's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. productization of, of artwork to certain sizes and shapes. So it works in different mobile, laptop, TV. So that's my team. We're, we're almost that last mile before everything gets put onto the, the Netflix service. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, it's, it's actually funny how how much we take it for granted now, how interactive these products are, isn't it? And in, in yeah. the way that kind of television and streaming has evolved. I mean, I remember obviously, you know, growing up as a kid and we had four or five channels here in Scotland, as, as you're yeah. very aware. I remember going to like a science fair in Edinburgh and I kind of, it must have been like in the 90s. And they were kind of trying to show like a TV, but they were kind of trying to explain that you would be able to control things on it. And everyone yeah. went, Everyone was looking at it like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> this, exactly, makes, yeah. this makes no sense. How can you interact with your TV? That doesn't, yeah. you know, it was, it was mind blowing. And um, I saw something the other day actually. I think, it, I think it's Disney released a Baymax um, short or, or a series. Um, what is it? I've got the name of it somewhere. I wrote down. Um, da, da, da. Oh, Baymax, oh. the Big Hero 6 series. Yeah, there's a Baymax Dreams. Yeah. Um, and it basically, I think, if, from what I understand and what I read about it, is they're, they're now, they're, it kinda, it's this kind of blend between um, like live animation built, um, you know, rendered in real time, but also the ability to kind of, as it, as it plays through, it stops, and then you're interacting like a game, because obviously it's built on yeah. game engines. Is, is, how far away is all that stuff coming to like to Netflix or to kind of live streaming? Do you think is it, is it very soon that we're kind of going to evolve past just just watching content that's being fed to us and and part much more you know being uh, kind of interacted with? Yeah, it's already here. We're already doing it in Netflix, so we already have interactive shows. So we did one with Bear Grylls. We did one on some animated titles. Black Mirror, Bandersnatch was also oh, a similar. So, yes, so it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's that it's that kind of like choose your own adventure. So you know you have decision points built into the content, and you can choose your own adventure. And if we call it, it's like branching basically. So you get and then you mm-hmm. branch off, and you have all these different scenarios that you can map out. So I mean, it's it's hugely complicated to do, especially like from a from a product point of view. But again, it's that sort of it's what I mentioned earlier, but that sort of pushing the envelope with innovation mm-hmm. in in this industry because. You know, if you think back, you know, 20 years, you're right, you would sit in front of a, a screen and you would watch either 90 minutes or 30 minutes of content or whatever, and that was it. Now we've evolved into, we've got all these different platforms, we've got all these different personalization and algorithms that content's being pushed to you based on your tastes. Mm-hmm. Now we're at a stage where, okay, well, that content's been pushed to me, but now based on my taste, I'm going to decide where this goes. And I think we're just tipping the iceberg on it at the moment. You know, I think it's just, it's going to get even more, but as I say, it's very, very complicated, very expensive, but it's just all about where the industry is going, which I think is about personalization and yeah. personal choice. And that's what sets it apart because people want to feel more connected with the content they're consuming. 
and that is just a natural evolution toward it yeah and, and it's it's kind of like with everything that's happening with facebook at the moment isn't it with you know the apple and kind of facebook argument of like not tracking your cookies and i, yeah. I quite like i quite like the tracking part because i would yeah. rather be ser- i would rather be served ads that were relevant to me than yeah. to go back to like the the early noughties where you used to get served ads that were totally irrelevant and the whole internet felt like spam so um, yeah yeah, but the, scary, the, the scary bit is though when you don't realize you've typed something you've just you were talking about something in your kitchen and then you go back to your computer and it's on your computer like well, how did that happen i know is my, is my, is my alexa on what's going on i know you start you know there's there's too many <laughs> things to, to try and figure out where it came from usually it has been that probably like you know six months ago you searched for something and so they exactly. planned six months later that you're now getting served that ad but people think it, it's based on what they did right now but it's you but yeah. but you can't help get freaked out by it can you you're always exactly. like don't overthink yeah. it Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I just said that yeah no i can uh, i can totally relate with that um <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? I, um, yeah, I, I suppose um, I, I think there's also another interesting evolution that, you know, that I wonder how it's going to take place now or, you know, or how it's going to evolve. And I'd like you to hear your thoughts on it is that, you know, my, my son's nine years old and uh, I sit and watch him. Right. And he's got his Nintendo Switch in his hands. He's got an iPad watching YouTube, watching YouTube at the same time, but probably yeah. on the same iPad he's also playing a game. And then up there on the screen, there'll be Netflix on or Sky or something. So they kind of they consume three or four things at once, and and, yeah. and most adults do it now as well. Like you, you'll sit on Facebook, you'll kind of put you watch like a music video on Facebook, scroll it to the top of the page, still be scrolling through, and you're watching a film with your partner, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, where where what you know? I'm just interested to kind of your brain on that. Well, it's true, and, and this is actually, it's obviously where we've evolved to now, and I saw this amazing video once of like this kid who's handing a magazine, and he goes to try and zoom in on the paper <laughs> as if he's on an iPad, right? So it's yeah. obviously, you know, they're getting more advanced, but we looked at, when I was at Disney, we looked at this probably, yeah, like 15 years ago, which was this concept of second screen, which would be, you would be watching a movie, and then you had like an iPad or a phone, and when it goes to a certain decision point in the movie, like a question would pop up or trivia or something like that. So it's something we've always been looking at, but that sort of multiple touch points. But again, you know, it's sort of, it's that ad, uh, it's that advancing of content and consumption that people have multiple touch points and multiple access. And, you know, we, we don't really like sort of, like, when you think about the sort of the competitive landscape, mm-hmm. the content will, will speak for itself, but it's more about eyeballs. It's more about minutes. It's decision points and choosing. So, you know, we obviously want people to choose Netflix, but, You've got TikTok, you've got YouTube. So we know people are going to be on multiple platforms and multiple opportunities for choice. So how do we make our content compelling enough to choose? Which is what, you know, every content provider is doing. They're trying to make sure that you choose that content. And once you choose that content, it's like, well, is it engaging enough to start a conversation? And if you're having a conversation about your content, then that's the holy grail. Then people are, then it's word of mouth. So it's all about that because we know the competition for eyeballs and the competition for time is beyond what it ever was before yeah I, I think it's quite interesting like building on that like kind of what tiktok have done this last year yeah. obviously again in, in a sense they were lucky in terms of you know there's obviously a lot of thought gone into it, but they've landed in a time where everyone was then locked in their house and needed you yeah. know needed to entertain themselves but what i think's very clever about the tiktok tiktok app sorry is that it's it's automatically sound on and if you look at mm-hmm. every other social media platform they're automatically sound off you have to like fight for that attention to get someone yeah. to turn it on so you have to try and spark something with you know either 
um, you know, clickbait title, clickbait beginning of the content. Yeah. But very much they push you on so that you, you know, you're straight away in there. And I think they also did something very clever in that they worked out the licensing so that people can use commercial tracks. Because yeah. I, I was talking in our last podcast that's not been released, but it will have been released by the time this goes out. Um, <laughs> Is um, we we just interviewed a guy Andy Morahan who um, who's a film director who kind of directed pretty much every uh, every music video you ever have seen like uh, Guns N' Roses, November Rain, oh. El- Elton John, Michael Jackson, everything. And you know we were kind of talking about the the interpath between like you know when you've got content that's also got great commercial music that's yeah. also done in a new way. So like you know like when you talked about kind of the Bandersnatch or the you know the um Black Mirror stuff, you're doing something innovative. You've yeah. got then great music, great content, um, you know, I, and all the things coming together just amplify. And that's kind of what happens in music videos. And kind of TikTok have kind of got that now because they're letting people express creativity. Exactly. And they've got the commercial music and they've got sound on. So you have, you know, so it's you know, it's just this, yeah. Having that sound on is not great when your girlfriend's next to you and you're trying to sleep at two in the morning. She's on TikTok and all you hear is this random music, which happens all the time. But no, you're right. And again, it's just all about that level of engagement and, you know, how are people going to. And, and again, you know, that sort of like, as you mentioned, sort of very commercial music. People just gravitate towards that. It's familiar and it's engaging. And, you know, TikTok yeah, have just. Exactly. You know, and TikTok have blown up. And it's right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was the perfect storm to allow them to do it. But the platform's great. Their content's great. And that's just that, you know, as I say, going back to where the industry's gone. Traditionally, like, you know, in entertainment, it was all about, well, we're going to make a, a movie or TV show and we're going to put a big talent against that and that's what's going to sell. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, content is actually making the talent. You know, it's these unknown people yeah. who are exploding. And, you know, Netflix have done that. We, we've made shows and made stars because of the people we chose. Now, where we are now, we're getting more kind of of the big hitters. But before, it's just like unknowns and they exploded and as a result, they blew it. So, again, it's just everything's flipped in its head these days. Yeah, and it's kind of almost turned into kind of what happened with TV, if you remember, like, TV made people famous, right? And then they said, like, that famous person only appears on Channel 3. This famous person only appears on Channel 5, for example, right? They're a BBC person, they're an ITV person or whatever. And the internet went, blew up. Everyone became famous wherever they wanted. So the control yep. came back to the individuals and, you know, so you could follow people on Twitter, Facebook. But now Netflix and and guys like you have kind of flipped that back again where you can only now get this specific content on netflix yeah so to see that famous person or that artist that you want you have to come to us and that's interesting i also wonder whether it will happen where you know the likes of facebook will then have agreements with certain influencers as such or content Mm. creators where well if you want to see jay-z for example you can only come facebook you you know if you want you know and they I think um, it, it kind of followed suit a little bit with um, oh, what's his name? Um, J- Joe Rogan's podcast, didn't it? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. He controlled it himself, and then where, where did that go again? Who? who did Spotify. Stop? Yeah, spot. Yeah, so they've yeah. kind of done that, haven't they? So it's it's kind of funny how these things kind of come round in circles, isn't it? Exactly, but and it's also you know how we measure talent success. So you know we now say, well, when this person came on this show, they had a hundred thousand followers. They've now got 10 million followers. And that's how we now gauge celebrity. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like, well, he's now done 50 movies. Well, it doesn't matter. He's got 100 million followers. And and people like presenters are getting jobs because of their social media following. It's just it's just a different landscape now. It's completely different. And, and, and those people that evolve with that and adapt to that are the ones that are going to be successful. 
Yeah, yeah. Ah, 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 there's so much, there's so much to talk about. There is, there is. I'm glad I had my coffee this morning. <laughs> I know. I, I've actually just had a five o'clock because it's obviously five thirty-five here. It's, it's the morning for Gav. For anyone listening, it's the evening for us here in Scotland. Um, so, uh, Gav, I suppose, like you know, you you clearly got a very successful, uh, you know, role, and you've had a great and fantastic, very successful career. I, I suppose going back. Um, to young Gav, uh, what, yeah. what did you think you were going to be? Um, and and kind of how did you meander your way um, over to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, weirdly, when I was at school, I mean, I was the same as any kid growing up in Glasgow. I wanted to be a professional footballer. Then, you know, a distinct lack of talent held me back. So I was quickly shut down. But I always wanted to be an architect. You know, I was always I was always really good at drawing. It's something I wanted to do. And then typical, just I looked at it, I'm not doing seven years at university, so I, I can't. <laughs> like I did the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I seemed too much like hard work. And then, you know, I just well, I thought my, my brother had gone to Strathclyde and he'd been in business school. So I thought, well, that seems like a good sort of path to go is sort of a generic degree and did that. And then again, you know, I thought I, I went into marketing because naively, I was like, well, I like advertising, thinking marketing was just advertising. So started, that was what I studied at uni. Realized pretty quick the marketing was way beyond that. It was all about you know consumer behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of didn't really have a, a path in mind, but it just I thought a good degree would be a business degree. Did that, went through Strathclyde, loved it. And then after university, I was like, where'd I go now? And again, I just thought, well, what I should be doing is one of these graduate programs and I want to be working for a big company. So I applied for just every massive company I could think of because in my mind was I want to work for a big brand and I want to work for a big company. Yeah. And I'm just fortunate enough that, you know, I got through the process with Diageo, which, and I want, you know, alcohol was the industry I was kind of looking at because I'd worked in bars and nightclubs all through my time at uni. It was an industry I was interested in. And I'm from Glasgow. And I'm from Glasgow. <laughs> I'm in no expertise. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Diageo were the biggest then, they still are. We still are now and I know in Guinness in terms of like the pinnacle of alcohol advertising it was just there so yeah all the stars aligned and ended up moving down to London and, and working there but I say it was never really a path other than I wanted yeah. to work for a big a big company a big brand yeah and then you know obviously working on the Guinness account is one that's very famed it's you know it's a, it's a brand that tends to kind of push boundaries isn't it and kind of push yeah. its way forward and you know have you I suppose got any were you part of any of the kind of pivotal campaigns with them or was there any kind of interesting stories for your time there yeah, so when I worked in Guinness, so I was actually on the, the packaged side of Guinness, so Guinness in a, in a can. Uh, but I mean, I just sort of come after the famous, you know, the surfer ad. That's what everybody talks about. And then that's Guinness the advertising. Oh, yeah, exactly. So that's what made me kind of think, well, I love advertising, so I want to work there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so again, you know, as I moved into it, what I, I thought I was just going to be making adverts for Guinness, but it wasn't. You know, the role I was doing was a lot more commercial because, you know, we had to think about pricing because we were, you know, Guinness, although a massive brand, is relatively small compared to, like Zestella and et cetera. So again, it was really sort of commercial and a lot of it was relationship marketing, connecting with the consumer. So it wasn't as much advertising. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. It gave me a great grounding and like, I can't speak highly enough about Diageo. They train their staff very well. They expect the best from you. And yeah, it was a, it was a great time and, and a great place to learn like the core elements of both sales and marketing. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I can, I can mirror that. We also work for Diageo now, so oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. One of our, one of our clients that made brave. So, and, and I, and I kind of say to them, it was one of the nicest onboardings I've ever had in terms of right, a, yeah. a relationship. So, um, yeah, no, definitely, and it's nice when you see a culture like that from a business kind of, yeah. You know, obviously, you've it's been a while since you've been there, and it kind of if these things last, it just shows you the, 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 the kind of the effort you can put into a brand and a, a culture that can kind of last, you know, last a, a long time. Um, you know, for well, for your input. 
Yeah, I mean, they've got, they've got huge global brands. You know, they, they lead the category in so many of their brands, but what they do well is, like, they don't rest in their laurels. You know, they're always pushing to do yeah. something different, you know, whether that's new sponsorship ideas, but it's innovation. That's what makes them such a, such a great company. Yeah, and so, so so you're obviously attracted to businesses that that push and drive innovation because you know Diageo very much that way. You know we've talked about Netflix where you are now, and obviously the the, the big chunk that's in the middle is, is one <laughs> yeah. of the world's other most uh, or probably the most creative and innovative companies um, was Walt Disney Studios. Um, so yeah, yeah, tell us a little bit about your time there, Gavin. Yeah, I loved it. So again, so when I was at Diageo, I probably should go back a little bit because, you know, I went into the graduate scheme and I don't think I really appreciated it at the time, you know, and I think I maybe, I probably had that attitude of, well, I've made it, you know, I'm working for the company I wanted to work for. So as a result, it probably didn't go the exact way I wanted it. So after the four years, you know, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do next? Is it, am I on the correct career path I want to be on? Have I applied myself as much as I wanted to do? And then Disney came around, so I went over to Disney. But the sort of the juxtaposition was on the Friday I was doing marketing on Guinness and on the Monday I was doing marketing on the Hannah Montana DVDs. <laughs> so it was like total shift. Oh, oh, very similar. Yeah, very, 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 similar. <laughs> very similar. But I mean, I think, you know, when I went to Disney, I kind of changed my mindset a little bit was, you know, I wanted to learn more. So I did everything. I got the real bread experience. I worked on everything I'd say from Hannah Montana to we had like Kill Bill at that point because we had like Miramax. So I had such a broad range and that's what really helped me kind of, as I say, expand my knowledge of both marketing the commercial side innovation all of that and just really built my network and you realize i mean you obviously this is a massive company but once you go in there you don't realize how big it is because it's got all these different touch points whether it's a tv business movies parks and resorts consumer products games it covers everything and you're able to learn so many parts of different parts of the business and learn from others as well because it is it's so broad and so world renowned and, and you the minute you walk in the door you feel that responsibility to the brand it's kind of weird because it means so much to so many people and you become a custodian of that brand and then all the other brands underneath it so you've got disney and then you've got well this is pixar or this is kind of you know miramax like yeah. how am i protecting that so yeah you, ha- you do feel this sort of sense of like i'm now a custodian of this huge brand that is so that stirs such an emotive emotional reaction in so many people yeah, it's one of those brands, actually, it's when you say that, that, you know, as soon as you say the words, you, 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 there's a visual that rattles around in your head. You can see the history. You can see, yeah. the, you know, you the history is see- everywhere. Yeah. And like there's pictures of Walt Disney everywhere. And it's like, especially when I came when I came to L.A. and you're actually working on the lot and you're like, wow, this is there's Walt Disney's office. Like This is where it all happened. This You, you feel it's one of the few brands in the world where you can actually like feel it. And you can actually be part of it. Like you go to the parks and you meet Mickey Mouse, wherever you you touch, you engage with the brand. It's it's phenomenal, phenomenal company. Yeah, and they, they've obviously got Pixar as well, haven't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Just, it just slots right in, doesn't it? It's just kind of it's well, like yeah. A, well, that's the thing. I mean, they've, they've got them all now. They've got Pixar, you know, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, they've got Marvel. They've now bought Fox, so they've got all that. Oh, so yeah, I mean, they're yeah. just a, they're an absolutely huge, a, a mammoth, mammoth company. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, do you, do you think the fact that you had kind of different roles, you know, the graduate schemes and so many different roles, do you, do you think that's kind of why you've ended up in kind of the kind of operational product roles? Yeah. That you've got a good, a good general view across the business. So you understand marketing, you understand product, you understand business. Yeah. Is that, is that why you've ended up where you are? Well, I think so, because, you know, the first job I did at Diageo was a sales role, an account management role. And when I first did it, I was like, I don't want to do sales. I want to do marketing. This is ridiculous. And I wasn't too happy doing it, but it was the graduate program. They just slotted me in that role. 
And it was the best thing I did because it gave me a strong commercial brain. And yeah. I didn't really appreciate the the need for a strong commercial acumen when you move into marketing. It's yeah. a lot of it's about commercial. So that really set me up well in my marketing career. And then what I learned more when I was more into marketing was it wasn't so much about the creative side of marketing I enjoyed, but it was the end-to-end process. It was like, you know, how do we get this idea to fruition? And that's how I kind of evolved more into sort of the operational side. And, and as I, you know, when I started in marketing at Disney, the marketing on the sort of the DVD products and the Blu-ray products was more of an operational role because it was like, it's all about timelines. You know, we're launching on this date, so you work your way back. Okay, I need yeah. to get the video, the artwork all done. I need to get the commercial agreements ready. So that's what I really enjoyed. And then my last job at Disney was I was leading the group that was basically doing all that operational process before our clients. So how do we get our content to Netflix, to Amazon, yeah. to Google, to Microsoft, et cetera. And I really enjoyed that. And that's what sort of Netflix sort of saw in me is that, well, this guy understands the end-to-end process. He's got a strong commercial understanding as well. So that's what we need. So instead of him sending content to us, bring him in and bring content in both from our original productions and from our non-branded. And that's where I, that's how I end up. But yeah, but you make an excellent point. I think it was that, that breadth of experience that set me up for this current role. Yeah, and I think I think that's really nice for maybe some of the younger um, audience to to hear as well because I think sometimes people are magnetized to creative companies and yeah. but maybe like oh I'm not I'm not really really creative and I think it's when you start to realize that creative companies run really well when they have a good blended team you know great yeah. teams need operational people you know financial people marketing people design people creative you know there's 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 a breadth of role and you know i I think that's a good it's a good message um for some of the younger listeners to kind of know that there's you know and i think what i see from you gav is that you knew a general direction when you were younger you wanted into the marketing creative world and then you found your space you know exactly um, well i think i I thought i was creative until i met creative people you know like and you know, if you're if you think you're creative and you go and work at Disney, you're like, well, those are creative people. <laughs> so it's a, almost like a bit of a reality check. And so you have to do a bit of self-reflection and say, well, what is it I'm actually good at? You know, what is it I can deliver? And I realized that it was about it was the process, you know, it was the end-to-end process and it was getting the best out of people around me as well and building a network and saying, Look, I know you're great at this, so I need you to help me because I know this person isn't good at that. And if I can just bring you all together and I can explain where we're going and why we're going in that direction, then we'll get there together. And it's and I think you have, you almost have to sort of live it and breathe it and do it to realize you know what your superpower is versus what you're you're not very good at. Yeah, that's, that's, I always word it as that's why I always say is if people have superpowers and they have a kryptonite, and you need yeah. to find people whose whose superpower matches your kryptonite and Absolutely. vice versa. And yeah, so it's a it's a great way to put it. Um, Gav, I suppose then just lastly, um, conscious of time um, today, that you know, we, as I say, we do have a lot of graduates and young, you know, creative marketing kind of people that uh, listen to the the show, and I suppose just now there's two ways to look at just now it could be a challenging time because mm-hmm. you know you kind of feel like your kind of rug's been pulled out from you from where you thought you might start your career but also you could look at it as an opportunity and there's, yeah. there's lots of ways i suppose just from your perspective someone wanting to kind of end up in a few years and you know how many years um where you're sitting or in a, you know successful in a business like netflix what how, what advice would you give them just now to kind of kind of how it framed their mind or what to what what, what could you have told young Gav um if you yeah. was in this situation I think you know what a couple of things I'm thinking of this you know having a real passion for what you're doing is key you know and whether that's 
you're passionate for the brand or you're passionate for, as I mentioned, you know, the process or the creativity, but understanding what your passion is, you'll be successful at it. So that'd be firstly. Secondly, it's about that that breadth of experience. You know, it's trying to understand the end to end. Don't just focus in on, on one bit. You know, yes, have a passion, but understand, as you mentioned, successful companies are successful because they have a huge amount of people doing a huge amount of things. So understand what that is, and then maybe try and focus it in as well. And I think if I could go back to myself, the advice I would be was don't be so fixated on title, job title, or image or what people think of you. I was so thick, I had to be a big company. Then when I was in that company, I had to be the next rung up the ladder. And and I, almost, I think I took my eye off the ball a little bit because I was so fixated on that, that I didn't almost learn what I was doing because I was so, this is the next thing. And when I wasn't getting it, I was sort of, you know, kind of discouraged or demotivated. So I think, you know, and the way you can do that is like, you know, you can kind of, if you go into, you don't have to be in a big brand or a big company, but if you can, even if in a smaller company, you can learn much more and you can learn much faster. I see people like who I consider my peers who have really excelled in their career and I look back in their career and like, you know, they didn't start at a Diageo or a Disney. They started somewhere else and they built up and as a result, because they got relevant experience. So yeah, have a passion, understand what it is, get that breadth of knowledge and don't be fixated on, what other people think or job title or escalation, just learn what you can learn, be the best you can be, and it'll, it'll all work out. I know that sounds very zen, no, but it's, it's true. Yeah, I think there's some real solid advice in there. And I think one thing I've taken away from that piece of advice that you've given and you know our chat today with you is that you know it's something we talk about at Made Brave often is like try and, try and have a kind of T-shaped person, right? So, um, you know, you know, you want to go deep on something and learn something really, yeah. really well. But if you can be T-shaped and you can have like a breadth like of of different knowledge. So like if you're a creative, if you're a designer, well, if you can if you can also bolt on that you understand how business works or you can yeah. also bolt on how to produce content, well, then you've suddenly got much more, you know, much more span, much more way that you can flex through your career. But you've also got a deep special speciality that's kind of got value to someone as well. So. Exactly. Well, I mean, you look at any the most successful CEOs in the world understand maybe a little bit about everything, but they go deep on one thing, right? Yeah. So that's why, like an MBA, for example, you learn law, you learn accounting, you you learn everything, but you might specialize in say marketing or something else. But yeah, you have to have that breadth of experience because that's what's needed. But yeah, but actually have that passion and go deep on something. Yeah, Gav, thanks so much. Um, thanks for your time today and being very generous with that. And thanks to everyone else that's been listening. If you want to support the podcast, please do rate and write us a review. It does help us. Uh, it helps us get the word out. Uh, we publish an episode each Monday on the last Monday of every month. Almost, sort of, kind of. Sometimes we miss <laughs> it, sometimes it's a Tuesday. Um, so make sure you're subscribed. And thanks again to Gavin. And we'll see you next time.